Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it's great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life, the Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a young man who made his mark at two football clubs, Hawthorne and North Melbourne. And I'm delighted to say he also made his mark in the media and I had the privilege of sitting alongside him in the commentary box many times at uh, games of AFL football. Nathan Thompson, Tomo, good to see you. Peter, fantastic to see you, mate, and uh, up in the beautiful regional area of Kyneton. Yes, we are actually recording this in your hometown of Kyneton, and uh, I just happen to be up here as well. It uh, gets a little chilly at this time of the year. How are you coping with the cold? Well, to think, Pete, that uh, growing up, uh, we used to train out there, no long skins, no uh, you know long sleeve jumpers, anything like that, um, and we're just used to it. it. It gets pretty brisk. So it's a beautiful part of the world, though. It is a beautiful part of the world, and the great thing about this place is it's only an hour from town, um, so you can get down to town quite quickly. It sounds as though we're going to do an hour tourist advertisement for Kyneton, but we could easily do that because I think we both love the place. Yep, certainly do, mate. And, uh, yeah, it's been a you know certainly a good change the last few years. I've moved back to the regional area and um, enjoying life. And I'll ask you about the changes, but uh, we're talking in Kyneton, but we're at Kyneton Toyota. Um, Toyota, of course, have been a very big part of Australian football, and you've been here for a little while now? Absolutely. So I moved back to Kyneton to get involved uh, just regionally again. Uh, I was a bit tired of the traffic and the city and the hustle and bustle, so I made the choice to move back, and uh, opportunity was at the local Toyota here at, at Kyneton. And um, having been involved with the AFL, with Toyota, um, knew the brand was great. And, uh, you know, since being back here, we, we've got involved with the Good for Footy program with the local sporting clubs. We're very active with with supporting the local community. So it fits really nicely with me as well. I do a, a sales management role, so uh, dealing with people uh, has always been a passion of mine and uh, it's something that uh, uh, I've enjoyed. Now, what about the local footy club, uh, the Mighty Kitten Tigers? Have you got any association with them? I have, I have. I actually played last year, would you believe? So my last year of uh, football, officially, 100%. I've said that a few times. I've had uh, more returns than uh, Whispering Jack. So <laughs> Johnny Farnham had have his work cut out in beating me out of retirement because I have uh, popped back into local footy a few times thoroughly enjoyed the journey and then last year we made it to fifth spot we played in the uh, the first elimination final got beaten but um, it just felt it was once and finally just felt like that right time right then and there that uh, that was the last game of footy for me so uh, had a great journey 39 years of age uh, playing my last game of local footy for the Kind Tigers I now help out in some small roles I help them with their recruiting I help them just on their Thursday nights uh, just with some of the club functions they do and just try to stay involved in a small way I assistant coach for the under 14 team that my son plays for um, so just the you know bit of the bits and bobs of everything runner um, help out as a bit of a specialist coach for the lads and uh, it's, it's great to be involved at local le- local level. Do you aspire to maybe coach um, a country football team one day? I did coach Kyneton a few years back and it was a good experience but just with where family life is with the age of our kids and also work life uh, at a 
a Toyota dealership here in Kyneton, you're always going to need to work Saturdays. So it's going to be tough to be involved from a coaching level, training-wise, uh, getting down to the ground by the time where the guys are going to need to train. I'm not in a position where I could commit to that at the moment. Um, in the future, you never know. Never know. I did enjoy it when I... Uh, did it, uh, I think it was about five years ago, mm. um, and coached the local club. And uh, I was driving up and back while uh, working with yourself at uh, Croc Media and uh, also at SEN. So um, in between all of that, I was coaching back here and uh, racing around. But at the moment, I just know that I don't have the time because it doesn't matter where you coach, the time commitment to uh, doing it and doing it well and doing it properly and uh, giving the local club what they require from a senior coach. I just don't have that at the moment. And it's a proud football club too because it goes back to the days of the great Jimmy Buckley. Um, mm. And I got to know Jimmy as a 16-year-old when he first came down to Melbourne. Um, and sitting on the desk beside you at the moment is a book from Carlton about uh, all the larrikins, the legends and larrikins at Carlton, and Jimmy is certainly one of those. And, of course, a modern-day player in Jack Redpath is making his mark in the game as well from Kyneton. Yeah, absolutely. There, there hasn't been, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of players out of Kyneton that have, have made it to the VFL or AFL, but, um, yeah, it's definitely great to be one of those uh, three. I know there is probably four or five. There have been some players that played for Kyneton that came from other clubs that had some league experience and whatnot. But, um, yeah, G Jimmy Buckley, what a... He's a legend uh, locally, three best and fairests, um, best and fairest in a premiership year, you know, a premiership player at uh, Carlton in their absolute heyday. So he certainly, his pitches up on the wall and, mm. uh, you know, regarded very highly at the local footy club. And Jack Redpath is such a great story in what he's been able to achieve. Had a couple of knee reconstructions, missed his opportunity as an 18, 19-year-old, but decided that he just really wanted to work hard and uh, see where it would take him. And uh, he did that, got into the VFL system after playing under myself at that year, I, the year and a half that I coached. Yeah. Uh, Don is a great guy, uh, great worker, and to see him out there, um, you know, achieving uh, the feat of playing league football and playing well, uh, kicking goals has been fantastic. We might take a break, and when we come back on the other side of the break, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about you and your progress up to the big time at both Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Nathan Thompson is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. More with Tomo after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and we celebrate the life today of Nathan Thompson. Tomo, where did the football journey begin for you? Well, it was a, it was a long footy journey. I know that uh, it actually started, if you go right back to the start of a footballing journey, it actually started, I was uh, born in Moorlbark in the eastern outer suburbs of, uh, of Melbourne. And I used to follow my brother and also my father who used to, uh, he was run the local Vic Kick what it used to be before it became Auskick competition uh, or not competition but um, system at the local primary school so as a three four year old I'd be following dad down to Vic Kick and seeing my brother doing his thing and just being the typical younger brother five years younger I just was desperate to get involved I was desperate to do what my brother was doing and uh, and get a game of football um, so I believe it was at about the five or six that I played my first game snuck into the team I was too meant to be too meant to be too young to be playing but 
Absolutely loved it. Uh, got involved, played uh, in a junior comp. I think it might have been under nines or under tens as a five or six year old. But that was just that. I absolutely just was living and breathing football as a as a young boy growing up. Was a Carlton supporter. Uh, Stephen Kernahan was my idol, and uh, jumping off the couches, catching the socks, and uh, yes. kicking kicking the balloons. I, I used to drive my mum and dad insane. <laughs> That's where it all started. Uh, we moved as a family, and I was only around that year, age of seven or eight. We moved to the country um, so I moved up here to Kyneton I uh, was living in Taradale which is a little suburb just mm-hmm. out and that's where my uh, journey began with Kyneton so I played in the local competition there moved on to the Kyneton Tigers as an under 16 and a half at the age of 14 and it was probably there that I first was recognized by the Bendigo people for an interleague squad and uh, got the opportunity to go up and play some football there. Didn't really have great success early. I was a heavy set kid, so carrying a bit of weight. Didn't really realise um, what was required from a fitness perspective at that time to play at a higher level or an interleague or a you know Bendigo Pioneer level. But started to gradually improve that just through natural um, you know growing. I uh, at the age of 15 or 16, I was, I was a reasonable size as a youngster, but I wasn't, you know, a ruckman size. And then I think it was about uh, 15 or 16, I grew three inches in the one year, went from being a good size player to, you know, a key position player and started playing in the ruck in the under 16s. And, and that was where it was actually playing in the ruck that I got noticed more so. I uh, had some real, really good success with the under 16 team with Kyneton in the finals and uh, the Bendigo Pioneers started to take a little bit of notice and I, I made a squad uh, over those years it was a you know it was a journey you know a lot of ups and downs sort of you know whether I was in the mix to get into that uh, missed out on the Victorian squad the year before and then the next year played the whole year but uh, they had a ruckman so they played me as a full forward in the under 18 my top age at the Bendigo Pioneers in the TAC competition uh, won the league goal kicking made it into the Vic Country squad and interestingly, I was playing basketball up at Bendigo because basketball was my second love. Rolled my ankle a week before the uh, um, state or Australian try um, uh, competition mm. and played like a dog. Um, and the second half of my year was really average and uh, really put the halt. Probably first half of the year, I'd been going quite well and was, you know, I wouldn't say definite to be drafted that year, but certainly was, uh, I think, had shown some good signs. I think. After that carnival, it put a black mark through my name that, um, you know, not fit enough, you know, not able to play at that next level. And I missed out on the draft at my top age year, so I uh, didn't get drafted and was pretty upset, pretty disappointed as you are. I mean, all of our, I think personally, your own perception of what you think you can do, people you've played against, uh, some guys got drafted, I was disappointed, I thought, you know, I was in front of them from a talent perspective. So what I end up doing, I was a chance to come back and play for the Kyneton Tigers and uh, got offered a uh, job at the local pub and uh, working. Which pub? It was uh, Kelly's Pub, so Alexander Hotel, right. uh, down the bottom end of Piper Street here in Kyneton. Yes. And Tony was heavily involved with the local footy club at the time, still playing. And they were in, that was the absolute uh, halcyon days of Kyneton, really, in the Kyneton Football Club. They were playing in premierships at the time. And, you know, I'd grown up watching them, so I definitely wanted to be involved in and play in a premiership there. But I just had this niggling feeling within myself that I, I didn't want to make that choice without giving it one last go. And I, I had a friend who I'd played at Pioneers 
uh, give me a call who was going to Williamstown. And I had personally, I hadn't received phone calls or recruiting calls from anyone, not VFL, AFL, anything like that to do pre-seasons. And uh, he actually called me up and said, mate, I'm going to Williamstown. I've been down there and spoken to them. They don't have a ruckman. I want you to come with me and I want, I'd like you to uh, come and try out and we can do it together. And, you know, I had to think about it. And I thought, you know what? Why not? So went down there. Brendan Curry was the uh, mm-hmm. the president, the great man. Um, he was president of Williamstown Football Club at the time. I trained for one night. You know, they're desperate for a ruckman when they sign you up after one training <laughs> run. And that was that was actually the decision that I think made the biggest uh, difference to me playing AFL. I went to Williamstown, um, trained for two weeks. They had an affiliation with the Western Bulldogs. I was... Uh, asked by the club to help out the Western Bulldogs out at Waverley Park in a practice game because Scott Wind and Luke Darcy were injured. I went and played in that practice game, kicked three goals from the ruck and all of a sudden there was some recruiters there and my name was at least, it wasn't uh, you know up in lights, but it was put forward again mm. where um, uh, John Turnbull was the Hawthorne recruiting manager at the time. So he rang me up after that. I ended up playing five practice games through that pre-season. I played uh, three for... Uh, Western Bulldogs, Terry Wallace was coaching at the time, um, was talking about the old SUP list program, there was the rookie list, decided not to go with me, played one for Essendon, so I remember playing at Windy Hill, um, didn't didn't really, I struggled that game, so you know, didn't really think I was a genuine chance there, but then John Turnbull out of the blue called me up and said, um, mate, I've been watching you play a few of these games, we've got one ourselves at Glenfrey Oval uh, against Richmond, would you like to come and play one for us. And I mean, I was a kid in the candy shop at this time. I, yeah. And I played really well. Uh, John said to me, mate, how would you like a supplish spot at Hawthorne Footy Club? Um, and uh, that was it. You never promised anything from that. I ended up playing a whole season in the reserves for Hawthorne with the way it was set up back then. You only played if there was injuries. Mm. And I got a little bit fortunate at the time. Hawthorne had about five or six injuries each week. They didn't have another big ruckman at the time. And I'm not a huge guy compared to, a, you know, Paul Salmon, mm. six foot eight, or a Matt Primus, you know, these sort of monsters. And um, at the end of that season, uh, Hawks came to me and said, you've had a good year, but we're still a bit unsure. What we will do is if, you, if you're still there late in the draft and uh, there's no one better than you, still left, we'll take you. So I took great comfort in that maybe I was a, you know, opportunity and they took me to their word. They took me number 82 of 85. Yeah, it was very late in the Eight, draft. 82 of 85 in the draft. I sat there through that draft at a friend's house here in Kyneton and uh, I could, it's fair to say by the time I got to 70, I'd had enough. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd had enough of watching this draft on the TV. The Hawks called out the name and uh, that, was, uh, that was all I needed. That started a journey into uh, the real life of uh, being on the senior list at, uh, at Hawthorne. So all of that happens because of one sliding doors moment. Because yeah, of absolutely. talking about whether you go to Williamstown and try out or whether you don't. Uh, do you often think about what might have happened had you said, no, no, I don't think I'll bother with that? Oh, to be honest, I, I, I really... You don't know. You don't know what decisions will come after that. My gut feel is I would have been just like a pig in the sty, uh, enjoyed myself thoroughly at the local club, played some good footy, probably done a trade uh, of some type and, uh, you know, been a pretty happy regional footballer, I mm. think I think would have been a nice fit for me. We'll take another break, Tomo, and we'll come back and talk about your great career at Hawthorne and North Melbourne on the other side of the break. Nathan Thompson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. More after the break. Yeah!
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Nathan Thompson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So, Tomo, you arrive at Hawthorne. Uh, when we think about Hawthorne these days, we think about a power club that gets to the grand final most of the time. wasn't quite the same when you were there. No, not exactly. The uh, start of 1997, uh, Donners, when I walked through the, uh, the doors for uh, the Hawthorne Football Club, but the club itself was struggling. Uh, When I got there was just after the uh, Melbourne merger game uh, where I think Jason Dunstall might have kicked six or seven or even more, kicked one right at the right at the death to get them over the line and all of the things were happening with Don Scott and, mm-hmm. you know, the supporters. And really, they'd only just won their right to stay afloat as a, uh, as a football club. Ken Judge was the coach at the time who had a significant impact on me as a player because Ken was ruthless. He was, there was no grey areas with Ken in any part of him as a person when it was in when football was involved it was this not that it was fit not fat and if you didn't fit into his way of doing things you were out and he made it as crystal clear from the moment I walked through the door one thing that I noticed and really learned about Ken was that if you put in the effort if you put your head over the footy and if you had a real go he got behind you I found him as someone that really motivated me because he, he was the old fire and brimstone type of coach and you you know you, you nearly played out of fear uh, for what could come if you know if you didn't get it right with him and that first year I didn't get a, a lot of opportunity but certainly that uh, my second year uh, when Ken was there I really started to feel like I got the pace of senior football. I got a few opportunities. One of the first ones was up at Sydney and I played on Dunkley, who was a terrific fullback, was able to kick a few goals and played in the ruck as well against Greg Stafford and starting to play against some players that I knew were genuine AFL um, quality players and to even just to be able to get a few kicks on them and, and win a one-on-one here or there or to do do some things that you, you, you can actually sit back after the game and go, you know what, I, I, th- I can actually do this. And, I, and it's not just, you know, I'm not wasting my time down here or really uh, not a live chance at playing some serious senior footy. And that, that for me was the real spur. And Ken played a huge part in that, uh, in, in getting me to a position where I was fit enough and also had the aggression. You know, he probably taught me to go to that next level about being an aggressive footballer. Naturally, you know, a bit of a teddy bear um, wasn't, didn't have that natural um, go, you know, kill sort of Jonathan Brown type mm. mentality. But I certainly, I think I learnt that quite well through that period with Ken as a coach because he was so ruthless and he demanded you to to try and play that that way and I think through that period I grew up a lot and uh, learned a lot about what I needed to do because it was either me or someone else so if I didn't get out there and you know run through people and if if someone you know uh, propped in front of me if I didn't try and take them out well I was going to get taken out How'd you get on with Schwabby? Because he'd be him, a yeah. different character As to Judgey. Polar opposite. Yeah. Um, Peter Swab was just, you know, he was your dad. He yeah. was the, you know, you, if you wanted to sit down and have a beer and a conversation with someone about, uh, you know, uh, things that are not happening for you, and he's the guy that would put his arm around you, give you the honest sort of feedback, but just, just a terrific, lovely guy. He had to do that with you because he was there when your much um, discussed about with depression 
uh, hit you. Absolutely, yeah. So 2004, it was, I'm trying, I should actually look back to what um, round it was. We were playing Fremantle and on that Thursday night, I had a nervous breakdown at the uh, at the footy club. So what happened? At Glen Ferry. I'd been struggling uh, for a long time, but I didn't know what was going on. Um, turns out that I'd been battling mental illness and depression probably for a fair few years leading up to that point. I'd had a, a lot of issues in my own time of, um, I call them, you know, nervous breakdown if you like, but uh, just basically fear, shame, being scared, not wanting to put my hand up for help. I was an AFL player, which really for me, I had no other no other place to go other than the AFL as far as what was I going to do if I left the AFL? Probably be a carpenter, but it's a long drop to go back and start again in a carpentry apprenticeship to being where I'd got myself to in, you know, 01, 02, 03, 04, mm. um, where I think 03, I got named vice captain of the footy club. You know, 04, I'd just been given a new three-year deal. And all of this had been going on while I, in the background, had been really struggling with my own health. Um, the only, the, the, what, the best way I can try to describe it to people, I was in a, I was, it was like a personal nightmare where my mind just wouldn't switch off. A lot of negative, irrational, illogical thoughts that would just haunt me day in and day out. Uh, wouldn't sleep at night. Um, and a lot of days, I, you know, I'd find myself sitting there going, I, I actually don't think I'm sane. Like I, I'd, and but I just I've got to hide this from people because my life is falling apart. And to be honest, I don't want to lose my job. Um, and I'm pretty scared about, you know, how I'll be um, treated or um, seen, you know, from a perception point of view by the public, by fans, by family, by friends and all those sort of things. And so like most people, um, I made that choice to hide it, to deal with it my own way. But in 2004, I had a breakdown at the club, got to the point where I just couldn't cope anymore. Um, and uh, one of the staff there saw that I was struggling um, and said, mate, you know what the gee, what's going on? I was sort of crying and um, in a bad, really bad way. And I just said, I just got to see Swabby. I retire from footy. I'm, I'm done. I'm all, mm. I'm finished. I, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, so I went into Swabby's office. As I said, Thursday, vice captain, leading into a game against Frio. Our season, we're struggling big time. Um, we're having a really bad year. And I, yeah, said to him, mate, I'm done. I, I just can't do this anymore. And the greatest thing Peter Swab ever gave me was that sort of 10 minutes of his time where he was able to put a bit of perspective to me on what was happening and give me some advice that changed my life. Um, he he asked me, he said, mate, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but he goes, just please, just take your time. Let's work this out. I'll support you. The club will support you. What's going on? I explained, you know, blow by blow that, you know, what had been going on, what I was dealing with, how I was feeling. And at the end, he, he just sat there and then, you know, very similar situation to what we're doing here. Pete, he looked across at me and he, and he just said, um, Tomo, no matter what happens, mate, we'll support you. So if you decide that you don't want to play AFL footy again, you want to go back to the country, you want to get away from whatever it is you, you know, you're having trouble with, um, he goes, I'll let you deal with a specialist. You need to see a doctor. Um, but he did say, he goes, but let me just say this to you as your coach and friend. To me, it seems like you're running. It seems like you're hiding away and you're not dealing with the issue of what's going on in your life here. And he goes, 
if you don't deal with it now, if you don't sort of find out what's going on and deal with this now, I reckon you'll be running from it for the rest of your life. Mm. And I just sat there and uh, for that moment there sort of was able to, you know, the light bulb, if you want, the light went off and I just, I thought, you know what? He's he's absolutely spot on. I've, I have been running from this. I've been hiding. I've been fearful. I've been, you know, scared to actually genuinely find out what's going on and, and try and sort sort this out and uh, so from there I, uh, I did went home uh, sat down with my wife um, obviously had a long chat there she certainly knew that I'd been struggling but uh, probably didn't know to what level and that then opened up I suppose a whole new chapter because uh, yeah I was diagnosed very shortly after with uh, severe depression and you know medication seeing specialists and uh, trying to get my life back uh, trying to get my life back together. So what Schwabby gave you essentially was a mix of compassion but reality at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was able to look at the situation and I suppose put it all into one statement that resonated with me and one bit of advice that just very, very simple, very succinct, but just absolutely resonated res- uh resonated with me as a person because I'd always see myself as someone that never ever uh, walked away or never shirked an issue or never you know I always use the analogy of running back with the flight of the ball I mean if, if I had to go I always felt that I would be a player that would go and then for me to be sitting there and being told that you know what here is something that I had been running from and I certainly agree you know wholeheartedly agree with him uh, then and now when I look back at the situation um, because I was confronted with a really serious problem in my life and uh, I'd been hiding away from it. Was it a relief, Tomo, that in some ways you possibly didn't get the reaction that you expected to get? Because you were talking about you didn't want to come out because you're a big, strong AFL footballer and you're supposed to be bulletproof. And mm. if you come out and say something like this, it's perceived as weakness. But then the compassion that everybody showed you and got in your corner and said, well, you know... It, we're behind you in your dealing with this. Were you surprised that you got that sort of reaction and did it come as a relief that you were able to get that? Uh, to be honest, at the time, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking about that. I mean, at the time, I was really just trying to survive. Mm. Um, so it was very basic for me. It was, wasn't about, I had made this world, you know, I'd made it this issue and the world up to be, this is what's going to happen. The assumptions that, you know, your world's going to fall apart if you let anyone in and let anyone know exactly what's going on. But when I, when I got to the point where we had it, we ended up having a press conference at the time because one of the media uh, channels had found out that it was depression and I was struggling and they were going to run it on the news. Um, we decided that we, well, the best thing to do then is just to come out, be honest, try and um, ask for some support. Um, once I got to that point, to be honest, mate, I was so laid bare. I was so tired. I was emotionally spent. I, you know, I was on the bones of my butt as far as my life. I was bankrupt. <laughs> as a person, I was just, I had nothing left. And so for me, it wasn't really, at that time, I wasn't really worried anymore about what anyone thought or what people were saying. I just had enough and I uh, wanted Peter's um, advice had probably supported me to do was go, you know what, stuff it. Uh, It's time that I just be honest and whatever happens, happens. What about today? How are you 
today these days? Yeah, great question. I think um, it's always it's something that's always going to be there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people and done a million talks over the years and supported, you know, Beyond Blue and done a lot of um, awareness campaigns and different pieces to support, um, you know, uh, depression, mental illness, health in men, health in people uh, since uh, 2004, since that time. And one thing I've noted around, uh, you know, depressive illnesses is a, a lot of people agree with me that it's something that's always there and it's not something you can click your fingers and go hey I've had the uh, medication and it's now gone forever if you don't manage it if you're not aware of it um, and you uh, don't continually try to uh, keep yourself healthy and do things that um, allow you to like it's really interesting you know over the years I've learned a lot of you know uh, coping strategies to actually help me deal with all of it and um, what that is now led to these days is yeah I've got to I've got to keep an eye on it because really if I don't it's amazing sometimes I can actually see some of those triggers some of those natural behaviors uh, that I that I had previously that I never knew what was going on um, starting to starting to pop up again and when I see that they're happening it's like hang on a minute I've got to realize that I'm actually dropping down a bit here would you get on the phone to Alex Fasolo and have a chat to him and and what did you think of some of the stuff that went on recently about uh, him turning up to training a couple of days after he'd come out and said what he was suffering from. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't have a great grasp of what... Uh, are you talking about the Mark Robinson yeah. tweet? Um, I don't have a great grasp of what the actual tweet was. Uh, from my understanding... Uh, I think it said something along the lines of, and I hope I get this right, but it said something along the lines of um, clinical depression on Tuesday, training on Thursday, good drugs or something like that yeah it's just a it's 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 probably unbelievable to think that you know i know mark and uh yeah. you know he's the head journo at the herald sun for him to write something like that is a it's a brain fart you know like he's i don't even know why he'd write something like that considering that now there's been a fair few people that have um come forward and uh, admitted to suffering depression. It is a massive issue within the AFL and more so society. You know, for someone that has his position in the game, but also in society, uh, in, you know, the communication and um, uh, uh, involvement with the paper or uh, the Herald Sun and whatever, to, to write something like that was just a massive error. You know, it's just mm. something I'm, you know, I'm sure he wish, wish he could take back. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't work that way. You know what? It, it absolutely doesn't work that way. If Alex Fasolo feels that the best thing for him is to actually keep training, because that might be, I remember Wayne Swass talking about it, and Wayne have talked, and I have talked a lot about it because certainly I was one of the you know first guys. But you know Wayne followed sort of pretty soon after, and he was a player that played a bit before me. But we've talked about it a lot, and uh, Wayne felt that the football club was his sanctuary. And it's the only time that he felt normal and it's the only time that he felt okay was when he was on that ground training and playing. So for Alex, that might... I don't know. I don't know Alex at all. I mean, that might be the same for him. That might be for him that he needs to be on that ground uh, staying fit and, you know, um, doing that. Whereas for me, it was the opposite. Like, I... I was at the point where I just had to, I, I, I needed to have a little bit of a break from the club, even though I think I got back there like within a week or a week and a half. And I promise you the first training run when I went back there, I was dry reaching and I was, you know, my, I, I, my body was shutting down on me and mentally I was shutting down. But 
at the time I really felt that if I didn't meet it head on, I needed to just, you know, get through, just get through and, and work through it. But you know what? Everyone's different. And it, it just doesn't, from all of my experience and conversations with people, it, it, it doesn't sit the same way with everyone. You know, for me, I wanted to pull away and, you know, regress and stay away from training and, you know, run, run away to the, you know, get away to the country and get away from the pressure. You know, Wayne Swasser and Alex Fasolo might say, you know what, my only um, place that I feel comfortable is at the footy club. Get your mates around you. So yeah. what, then where else would you be? Mate, yeah. go to the footy club, get out there and have a kick, have your friends around you, don't just sit at home and be left there tormenting yourself with your own thoughts and, uh, you know, feeling sort of uh, withdrawn from your footy club, which is the major part of his life. One last point on this, um, talking about people from outside having an opinion on this. Wayne Carey said something about you once hmm. that was seen to be uh, very dismissive of the condition that you were suffering from. What's your relationship like with Duck now? Do you have one? No, no, no. Like I, um, a relationship would be that if I see Wayne, if Wayne and I cross paths, we say hello. You know, I, I met Wayne through some other uh, friends uh, who were involved in North Melbourne uh, before he, he left there. I'd met him a few times, uh, had a beer with him and those sort of things. Pri this was prior to uh, that situation where he was on the footy show and uh, they cut back and they must have been having a conversation uh, inside the ad break and then that's when he made the comment about me hanging from a tree you know be probably hanging from a tree or you know something like that very you know very dismissive you know very dismissive and smart ass sort of you know throwaway line like a who gives it you know I couldn't give a stuff about him sort of thing mm. um, and uh, so yeah when I when I heard about that I it's interesting how you respond to things I mean and I to be honest I wasn't angry about it I didn't really care about it to, you know, which is interesting. I mean, you know, what sort of rolls you up? But I, I remember thinking about it. I mean, who cares? You know, I really couldn't give a stuff um, whether what he thought of me or how he, you know, perceived what I'd done or what was going on in my life. And do you know what? He, he rang up, he left a message, but I really, from that perspective, I, you know, I, I thought at the time, you know, Wayne's, said something again which is another sort of sort of black not, um, mark or a little notch against you know what he had had uh, what was going on in his life but from my perspective I really I didn't care you know I just didn't you know I, I didn't really sit there and go oh this is you know him looking at what's going on with me and not um, um, understanding or having any sort of respect or anything like that I thought it was probably, a, you know, an arrogant guy who has a lot of bravado and a lot of confidence. And, you know, when he's talking to the guys in an ad break and they said, oh, what about Tomo? Hey, what about that? You know, and he just gave a dismissive comment. And you know what? If every comment I'd said um, about people or uh, of people uh, during ad breaks and whatever were um, put onto the air, Donners, mm. I reckon I'd be pretty embarrassed as well. So um, I think we all would. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, at that point in time, I just I didn't give a stuff about it. And you know, when I see him nowadays, I say hello. We're not we're not mates. We never you know great mates. We never have been or anything like that. But yeah, that is what it is. Don't, Beautifully uh, spoken. Yeah, don't don't really uh, don't really hold it anywhere. 
or uh, have have any sort of opinion about it. It's just one of those ones you let through to the keeper, mate, and you keep yeah. keep moving. You've summed it up beautifully. Why don't we take our final break and uh, we'll talk about the ensuing years at North Melbourne with Nathan Thompson on the other side of the break. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Nathan Thompson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals with 23 chapels across Victoria and online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tomo, we've talked about the Hawthorne years. How did you find yourself at North? Well, uh, at the end of 2004, I had a decision to make. I had a three-year deal at Hawthorne. They'd been a great club to me. But as I said, my life had really hit, I'd hit the wall. I had to make a decision whether I thought I could play football anymore, let alone play at Hawthorne and continue on, you know, vice captain. I wouldn't have been the vice captain going forward because they would have tried, no doubt, to take as much pressure away from me as possible. And that's fair enough. And I probably would have asked for that. But uh, Alistair Clarkson had just been made coach of the Hawks. And um, I decided at the time that I really felt that if I stayed at the Hawks, uh, I would have retired probably in the pre-season. And for me, something that had always worked for me as a person was a fresh challenge and a fresh start. And um, so what I did was uh, ask the football club, uh, John Hook, who was the football manager at the time, um, that I think I need a fresh start. And I'd really like to do that. Um, I'd, you know, it doesn't matter where it is. Um, if you can find me another club so I can, you know, go and have a go somewhere else and just try and uh, clear the slate and start again. Uh, for me, just from a health perspective, I think that would be my best chance to continue or give myself a chance to play AFL football again. And interestingly, North Melbourne, um, we're a club that I th- uh, at the time were desperate for a key forward. Um, so Dean Laidley uh, came over, asked if I'd be interested in from there. To be honest, it was a great trade for both clubs. For the next two years, it's amazing, fresh start, um, leading teams that just got to North Melbourne, Melbourne as well and I was able to be a part of that and that tied in really nicely with some of the support I was getting from counsellors with the uh, depression side of things and mental illness um, and I was able to redefine myself and set myself a new set of goals. Um, I ended up playing the next two years, best two footy years of my life uh, from an AFL perspective um, to both years I kicked over 50 goals mm. as a uh full forward centre forward. It wasn't always playing out of the square and also in the ruck. Um, and in 2000, and um, like it's just a little thing, but in 2006 there, I, I think I might have scraped into the top 10 in the Brownlow with 14 Brownlow votes. I mean, it's just a simple little thing like that. No, but, not, that's not but, a little thing at all. But from two years ago when you, you pretty much were, you know, feeling like your life was over yeah. to playing a significant role at the, the highest level of AFL or Australian rules football possible um, was, was pretty significant and something that I'm very proud of that I was able to make a very tough decision to leave the club where I knew I had the support and go to a completely new environment. Unfortunately, my third year pre-season was going great. Uh, the last practice game before uh, going into the season, I had uh, Sam Fisher go through my knee sideways car crash style and um, tore all the major ligaments and um, that was pretty much that that certainly I came back the year after but that that was the knock that um, I didn't I was never blessed with super pace when I came back I was, I was definitely a couple of, a couple of meters slower struggled again with different injuries after that so a lot of people will probably explain and I know it happened to me is that major injury probably wasn't the one that got me it was the five six seven other things that happened around that mm. different knee ankle other problems started to pop up everywhere and really impacted 
my ability to um, actually move well enough and compete well enough at AFL level to uh, to get back and uh, to keep going. So when the career finally comes to an end, a lot of players say, oh, it's a real wrench losing football. Mm. Was it a bit different for you because of the microscope of AFL football and because of all of the attention that was on you because of what was going on off the field, were you kind of in some ways glad to get away from that microscope? No, we don't have enough time to go into it, but uh, the actual exit was pretty tough at the time um, at North Melbourne, um, and I really struggled with that. But once that exit had actually been and done and I sat back and you know went, right, well, I'm gone, um, that then it finally hit me that that you know what this is this is the right thing let's mm. just move forward what am, you know what am i doing now and um like anything mate like the footy um i've always seemed to a bit of a persistent bugger i've always seemed to find my way and um the media was one thing that i'd uh, certainly found a bit of enjoyment out of doing bits and pieces while i was playing you're not doing that and, now though uh, no you? not at all why no. not family uh, mate, had the choice living in Melbourne, working weekends, flying around with yourself and some other great people around to all parts of Australia calling footy. And my wife and kids were at home. Um, she was, uh, you know, doing the car car trips to the footy and all of that sort of thing. And I wanted to be involved in it. Yeah. So I made that uh, the big choice to give up radio was the hardest part. I loved I loved my radio. But I had the choice to move to Kyneton, uh, take a job up here at Kyneton Toyota and spend my weekends going to my kids' footy, um, being close to home from work, so nighttime, get home, um, you know, sit at the dinner table, all those sort of things instead of being down at um, SEN or one of these places Thursday night talking footy, as much as I loved it and selfishly, you know, as a person could uh, could do it uh, forever, um, I, I didn't want to miss out on the, on the beautiful uh, side of the family that uh, my kids were growing up. Well, I must say that I'll miss those times sitting in the skybox at 12 o'clock at night at Eddie Had Stadium after the game had finished two and a half hours previously. And we basically dissected not only football, but I think we dissected life, life. in general at yeah, various times. Absolutely, mate. And the other place was ANZ Stadium. That was probably oh, the yes. other one. When, yes. we were, when we were sitting there in the corporate box after all of the yobbos who had finished every beer in the place had left. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we got locked and, in, I think. And we got locked in. And we're looking around here <laughs> thinking, uh, out at Homebush Stadium, thinking, how, how in heck are we going to get out of here? Um, but uh, great memories, mate. Great times. And uh, when, you know, when you sit here and do interviews like this and uh, look back at it all there's been uh, yeah there's been a hell of a lot of a lot of learning but a lot of fun along the way there has been a lot of fun um, a lot of it in the media and your career of course which uh, ended with 119 games with Hawthorne 60 games with North Melbourne but more importantly it ended with you coming out the other side your story's a compelling one and it's been terrific of you to share it with us Tomo it's been good to see you you're a legend Donuts thanks mate Nathan Thompson joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives we'll be back with more another edition of the program same time next week on 1116 SEN Melbourne's home of sport it's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.